0: Hey there, welcome back to the Path to Zion podcast. I am your host here in the fancy studio with the beautiful sheet on the wall. Thanks for joining us. Look, we're talking about the book of Jonah. It's maybe more than you've been told. I'm just telling you, we're given all these felt board illustrations when we're children, and we just see kind of stubborn prophet Jonah guy, giant whale, eats him, spits him up, he walks out dry and perfectly clothed and happy and ready to proclaim the word of the Lord because he, he, he just didn't really want to the first time around. So, come on, Jonah. Come on. Tell the, tell the naughty people the nice word of God. And then he does, and they all run out, Hey! Yay! Right? No. Friends, we've got to give ourselves. We've got we've to go back, dig up all these things we were handed when we were little children, and say you know what i'm just going to set this here god if there's any good in there let's bring it to the present i'm just going to kind of see what you say today as a grown man i'm going to study to show myself approved so listen we're here in the next installment of compassion in the belly of the fish looking at the book of jonah i don't want to say we've hardly gotten anywhere i've got to get to it stick to the text okay So we just read chapter 3. We looked at some of the things within it. Here are some more things that I want to bring out um, more specifically um, towards these matters. What was the great word of the Lord that Jonah so dreaded proclaiming? Because we know that that God says, okay, the second time now my word is going to come to you. This is what you tell them. So he says in 40 days Nineveh will be overthrown. Okay, well, overthrown, I found when I started to do a word study in the Hebrew of this. It's one of these, man, you got to know the context because it can go this way or it can go that way. And you don't really know exactly what it means. So this is how I'm going to present it to you. The word is hafak. Hafak. It's generally used to mean changed or turned in a very general sense. Changed or turned. It's used to define both judgment and literal change. It can go either way. So really in this text alone, because I think it would do us good to know what Jonah was told, and I think as we've already alluded to, I would think that Jonah would hear this in the way apparently he thought in his judgment and wrath and justice on behalf of Yahweh. I would think he probably would have eagerly ran to tell the Ninevites, listen, you're getting overthrown, you vile heathens. He didn't do that, so I have to ask questions according to that. Well, why didn't he do it then? seems to me, according to what we're told he was about, he should have ran quickly to tell them what he wanted to see already happen in himself, which is God's judgment and destruction upon the people of Nineveh. So I have to scratch my head and say, maybe he understood it to mean what it became, what we know, because we read it from something that happened long ago, which we knew... We now know that overthrown, in fact, meant they would change and turn from their wicked ways. So maybe he knew that. Um, Maybe he was just rebellious and didn't want to do what God was saying. We don't really know, whatever the case. So when Jonah finally does go down as he's instructed, again, I think he did it kind of half-heartedly, but at least he did go to these awful lawless people. How did they respond? We talked about this a little bit in the previous part. How did they respond? With further rebellion? Did they run Jonah out of the city? Get out of here, prophet of God. We don't care about your hard word. No. The very next verse tells us that the people of Nineveh believed in God. They believed. Now, believed is if we could make some jokes, it's amen. man. <laughs> I was trying to think of a way, like, I like to learn some of these Hebrew words. I'm like, oh, man. Oh, man means believed. And it's, it's interesting because if you do this, and if you don't, start doing it, okay? You, you, you can go to Blue Letter Bible, for example, and, and you go to texts, and you click on a highlighted word within a text, and you can scroll down, and then you see where that word, that exact Hebrew word was used throughout the scriptures in the context therein. I love doing that because it helps me gather generally with more precision what that word really means when I see it used in different contexts, saying different things towards different matters, if that makes sense. So, interestingly, this word is the exact same belief as Abraham did in Genesis 15. And what was that? What was that belief? for Abraham. It was counted to him for righteousness. Okay. So again, how, well, what are we talking about? Again, I got to bring this back around. We're talking about 2020. We're talking about culture. We're talking about your neighbor. We're talking about the big cities. Should you not live in one, which thank the Lord I don't anymore. We used to live in Atlanta. Boy, am I glad I'm not there anymore. But if you are, whatever the case, you're still, you'll be Okay. You might want to consider fleeing to the country, but that's up to you. Um, Whoever we see, however we see, other people that we call, deem, lawless, evil generation of people. Christians like doing this now. Let's just be honest. Christians love calling out the, the lawless ones, judging the whole world. Whoever these people are, This example that we see of the Ninevites, they, amen, they believed. And they didn't just believe, like, just accept Jesus into your heart. Of course, this pre-seeing Messiah, but you see what I'm saying. This wasn't just some, "Ah, I said a prayer, man. I feel so light now. No, they believed in the same way, the same manner, the exact same Hebrew word that Abraham believed counted. Could we not say, according to this text, it was counted to them for righteousness. The Ninevites that Jonah said in his heart, low life, scum of the earth. They don't deserve to know you, God. And I'm telling you, church of 2020, that's you. That's you. Now that's hard, I know. But listen, that is the church today. The church finds great excitement, seemingly, in calling out the lawless ones and saying, "Mm -mm. God's coming to eradicate you. We hate you. He hates you. Well, he hates you because I hate you, but that's a whole nother issue. So there's no hope for you. You just need removed. There's no hope for you. And I keep saying, how in the world is there hope for you then? How is there hope for me if I look at any other person and say, Nope, beyond God, beyond his redemption? mm -mm. Never believe. They will never trust in the one true God like me. Friends, this is such a dangerous thing that the absolute church has got to hear of this hour. They've got to hear this. If that's you, man, just humble yourself. Here's an idea. If that's you, hear the word of the Lord. And do what the king of Nineveh did. Do what the Ninevites did. Do what the vile lawless people did, church. Hit the ground in the ashes. Cover yourself with sackcloth. Weep, fast, and mourn. Follow the pattern of people who had pagan deities and hated God. Yet when they heard the the word of the Lord come, through the obstinate rebellious prophet, they believed And they didn't just believe, and then we're going to move on. They believed just like Abraham. Incredible. Even though Jonah's message was weak, I would say, even though he didn't even himself desire to see it change these people, even though he himself was rebellious and prideful, the message produced repentance in life. Why? It was the word of the Lord. Through a flawed vessel, yes. Hey, hello, hello the word of the lord comes it produces whatever it was sent forth to produce period it seems that perhaps he was barely even interested huh. even after all that he had been through i don't I, I, we're not recorded it's not recorded for us to read how he was just teeming with mercy and grace and oh let me tell you what god did for me maybe he did that i don't know we're not told that i don't see any personal record of of his deliverance. He just said the word of the Lord and we'll get to what he did next. I don't see him too eager. I'd love to know, though, what Jonah actually expected the proclamation of the Lord would produce. Did he know that it would set the people free? And he didn't want them free? Maybe. Speculation. Two sides of this biblical teaching. Number one, the result God desires is not entirely dependent upon us when we are in, posi- in the position of speaking in the word of the Lord, but instead it's dependent upon the word of the Lord itself. The word accomplishes its work, and even the slightest yielded will can accomplish much because it's not about us. It's about the message. Number two, on the side of the receiver, the one getting the word of God told to them, in this case, Nineveh, God is rich in mercy. He's full of grace. He's full of compassion. His word is going forth to declare one thing, a call of repentance. He will send his word again and again and again and again and again and again. again. He desires none to perish. Is this true for you? Is your message of repentance of the gospel to people, is it easily bridled and restrained? And like, "Mm mm-mm, pearls before swine, not doing it. Not wasting my time on that guy. Who do we think we are? I mean, really, who do we think? What about us? Again, now this is redundant, I know. But like, I want to just line up every believer that would give me five minutes and just say, Do you remember your former condition? Were you ever evil? Were you an opponent of God? What about you? What got you to a place of being redeemed and pleasing in His sight, if in fact you are? What got me to this place today? His mercy, His grace, His compassion, His long-suffering. His time and time and time and time again extending to me an opportunity to repent and turn and come to Him, which in fact I did because I was empowered by the Spirit to do so, to simply respond to Him drawing near to me. Mm. Let's move to chapter 4. Chapter 4 is incredible. Chapter 4 is incredible, y'all. I could have made... Probably a three-part teaching just on chapter 4. How long is it? It's 11 verses. This, this book is so, so small. Okay, so... This is so incredible, right? This blows our mind. This makes no sense. You read... Man, you read Isaiah. You read Jeremiah. And you're like, man... To be like this prophet of God. That's what I do, man. I read Isaiah... Like, man, if I could just experience 5% of what that man saw. And then you have Jonah. Jonah steps onto the scene. I'm like, what in the what is the what is the deal with this guy, right? So the people relent, or the people rather repent. God relents. Repent, relent. That could be a good one. He he withdraws his burning anger like they said they hoped he would. And here comes Jonah in chapter 4, verse 1. And Jonah rejoices in God's goodness and favor that he just received because Yahweh God poured out his mercy upon the Ninevites just like he did upon he himself. No. This repentance and God's relenting greatly displeased Jonah. And he became angry. Are you kidding me? See, like I say that and then here's my heart. Be careful, Joel. What about you? This is good. This should be how we read scripture. If you pick up this word and you're simply looking for it to be a weapon to destroy everybody else, you need to put it right down. I'm just saying that clear as a bell. If you pick this up to look about how you can do this and slice and dice your neighbor... Or your vile enemy of a guy on the television that in your heart you hate? Man, you need to put that word of God down because you don't know how to handle it. I'm just saying. You need to pick this up and you need to say, cut me in two. Divide me. Bring me to repentance, God. But Jonah, displeased, angry, can't stand the repentance of the people and the turning and repentance of the Father, to leave them unjudged. He withstreng—he withdrew his wrath that they knew they deserved. Verse 2, he prayed to the Lord. He gets real pitiful real fast. Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. I knew you're gracious. I mean, get this through our minds. If God's not compassionate, okay, so the people of Nineveh getting God's grace and mercy, yes, amen. Excuse me, clears a bell. But do we understand really the greatest demonstration of God's mercy is towards his prophet in this text? Because the people here in turn, the people here and believe, the people here, and repent. The prophet of God hears and hears and hears and hears and turns away, flees from the presence of the Lord, complains, grumbles. Hello? Church, listen to the text. Please insert ourselves. He grumbles. He doesn't like it. How dare? This is what he's saying. God, how dare you do this? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. This is why I fled to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God. You're slow. (laughs) I want to read it like he's probably saying it. You're slow to anger. You're abundant in loving kindness. You're the one who relents concerning calamity. Gosh, I hate that. That's what he's saying. (laughs) He has no recognition of his own condition, of his own depravity. Just like when he was in the boat, before he got thrown over. Same condition has remained. Therefore, now it gets even worse. Here it comes. Oh, Lord, please take my life from me. For death is better than me for life than life. Kill me, God. And the Lord said, do you have a good reason to be angry? Jonah went out from the city and he sat east of it. Before we get there. This good reason. God then appoints, well, we'll get to that. He has good reason. Where is that? Now it comes up later. Yeah, so let's keep reading. Verse 5 of chapter 4. Then Jonah went out from the city and he sat east of it. He made a shelter for himself and he sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. So the Lord appointed a plant, and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. Imagine that. Jonah is happy. For a mere moment, it's almost impossible, but true. Verse 7, God appointed a worm when dawn came. So he has this in the morning, the, the worm comes. This is the next day. And it attacked the plant, and it withered. And it came about when the sun came up that God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint. And he begged with all his soul to what? Again, to die. Saying, death is better to me than life. He's so emotional. Like, church could learn a lot from this too. This just emotion-driven drivel. Oh, God, it's so... Ho- oh, nasty. Sounds like... Ugh. Verse 9, God said to Jonah again, Do you have a good reason to be angry about the plant? He, Jonah said, I have good reason to be angry, even to death. So the Lord said to him, You had compassion on the plant, for which you did not work, and which you did not cause to grow, and which came up overnight and then perished. And should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know the difference between their right and left hand as well as many animals? Friend, listen, I've got to take all this and and condense it down. There is so much within chapter 4. Yahweh asked Jonah, look, man do you have a good reason to be angry? I mean, it's kind of like a rhetorical question. Like, I would like to think Yahweh was probably like, now let me, let me understand this, Jonah. I save your life from the bottom of the ocean. I resurrect you. I deliver you from Sheol. I spit you out on the dry ground. I give you yet another chance to go be obedient to my word. I allow you to see the redemption of 120,000 plus people who experience the same mercy and compassion that you yourself just received. And you're telling me you're angry and have good reason to be. Is that how I'm hearing it? And imagine Jonah. Y'all, I mean, really. (laughs) His condition. So God does some things I find really interesting. We'll get to, and then we'll wrap up this part. God appoints a blessing, a plant, and two curses. One is a worm, and one is the scorching wind. Why did God send the plant? Now, pay attention the next few minutes as we wrap up the last 10 minutes of this part here, please. Please. I think this, this, this part and the next one will be the crux of all of this. As far as textual, <clears throat> and substance goes, there's some real, there's some real deep points within these this chapter four. Seriously, why did God send the plant? Didn't Jonah build a shelter for himself to sit under? We know, we know he did. Let's just, for time's sake, we're gonna make this simple. He went out from the city and he sat east of it. And there he made a shelter for himself and he sat under it in the shade. So he's in shade. He's already in the shade. Okay? Again, please give me your attention. He's already in the shade from a shelter that he built. Now, when you look at shelter in the Hebrew, it's sukkah. Sukkot is related. Booths. So, man, there's so much imagery here. But he builds his own Sukkah. His own shelter. To provide what? Shelter for himself. But God, in his infinite wisdom, and in his perfect righteous ways, he looks down upon Jonah, which is a miracle in itself. He should have just said, you know what? I'm done with you, Jonah. I'm so done with you. But he doesn't. What's he do? He causes a plant to supernaturally grow up in mere hours over Jonah to give him shade. Well, why does he need shade, Yahweh? That's what I'm doing as I'm studying this days ago. Wait a minute, he's already in shade. He built himself a sukkah, shelter, to be in the shade, to be sitting in his chair, overlooking the city, just hopefully waiting for the destruction and judgment of God to come on these people. Why did he need shade? I would just say, in, in simplicity alone, the shelter that he built was entirely insufficient to be his covering. The shelter that he built, by God's assessment and vantage point, was Jonah was lacking. His shelter could not provide him the protection. And the shade that he needed. Why in the world would God do that and care one lick about it? Because he's awesome. Because he cares about you. Because he cares about people of Nineveh. Because he cares about the people on your news channel that say are vile scum of the earth. That's why. Because he cares about his creation. So why would God in any way desire to bring comfort to this stubborn and rebellious man Jonah? Jonah. Four, six, we just read, this makes Jonah extremely happy. We've got to look deeper, though. This is the only time we see Jonah not entirely miserable. The only time in this account of his life. He's miserable and wishes he was dead. Every other time, except for when? Except for the moment, the hours, maybe, where Yahweh God supernatur- supernaturally causes a shade To come upon him. Just to be strict now with the words, he does not build him a shelter, okay? Jonah built the shelter. God did not build him a shelter to replace his shelter, but his shelter was intact, erected by himself to provide him shade and covering, which we're going to get to. But God sees it's insufficient, so he causes this plant, could be a gourd, whatever, it doesn't really much matter, to overshadow Jonah. And to bring him comfort. And again, only in this place, only in this moment do we see Jonah content, and not merely content, happy. Miserable prophet Jonah who wishes nothing but death. Something brings satisfaction to Jonah when he is seated under the shade of the Almighty. The shadow of I'll leave that there for where we're going to go next, which will be the final part. We'll wrap this all up, presumably. Thank you for watching. Stick with us, please, as we go through the compassion in the belly of the fish. Go to pathdesign.com. Visit us online. Reach out to us. Tell us something. Tell us where you are and where you're listening. Thank you for joining us. Please come back for the rest of this study. Thank you for watching.